It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Yeah. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a machine, listen to yourself, the world, but it don't need something to your own head. Beat it up and I've got no seats. The ladder from the platter with the fear fight down. Like fire in a fire, with the system of the gang, the government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, but you're eating it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the Hour of Doom. And bloom. It's hot out, ladies and gentlemen. It's summertime. <laughs> I guess that's the boy, doom part of summer. It is, yeah. It's hot. But the bloom part right, is everything's green and, and pretty. blooming. There right. you go. There you go. That's right. <laughs> hey, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, an hour of honesty in an off kilter world. <laughs> I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Doctor Bones of DoomandBloom.net. Where you'll find over 900 closing in on a thousand. As a matter of fact, almost there. Videos, podcasts, articles, all sorts of stuff on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And I'm also known as Nurse Amy. And the hostess with the mostest, of course. We are the dynamic duo, the beauty and the beast. Although if anybody ever calls you a beast, (laughs) I will be so I'll put you right on that, honey. (laughs) And we are here to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with a horrendous hamster? That's your story? You're sticking to it? Okay. <laughs> Far be it for me to deny it. Our attorney says, don't call me. Call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the host and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. That's right, but when modern medicines get up and go, as got up and went, when the rescue helicopter is not on the horizon, well, what do you do? Well, you show the world that you're smarter than a sack of iguanas, that's what, by learning what to do for injuries and illness in times of trouble. And while you're at it, get some supplies and a medical kit to go along with all that knowledge, and what better place to get it than the lovely Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated but never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. They'll help you handle medical issues in tough times, and they're designed by yours truly, an MD, and hers truly, an advanced <laughs> registered nurse practitioner. Not an MD. <laughs> but a very highly... An ARNP. Still, very highly trained medical <laughs> professional. Sweet. Thank you, darling. Compare our kits for contents, quality, cost, geez, with just with everybody, anybody else's stuff. Just ask anybody who's bought one. 
You'll agree, our kits are the ones that you should have in your medical storage. Speaking of which, I just got an order yesterday uh-huh. for 14 gunshot kits for a local a police county, department. Yes, yes, a county police department. So very exciting. They ordered them in black, of course, so they blend in with their uniforms. Yes, we're always uh, glad to help our law enforcement officers. Any any lives that we save uh, among that crew oh, is please. It's worth its weight in gold. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's right. We're honored. Hey, what's the news, baby blues? <laughs> we learn as much from you as you do from us. That is a understatement. So why not collect, connect with us? It is easy. Here's the lovely nurse Amy to tell you how. Absolutely. You can contact us by email anytime at drbonespodcast at aol.com. Find us on our Facebook at our group Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. A couple of Facebook pages you can like and get a feed from. Doom and Bloom, which is our business page. And our previously per- personal page is called Dr. Bones, spelled out Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. You can also follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show, and don't forget our YouTube channel at Dr. Bones Nurse Amy. That's right, and we do have another podcast all about current events, American Survival Radio, broadcasts from a number of radio stations throughout the nation, from Salem to Alaska, Salem, Oregon, to That's true. Fairbanks, Alaska, to Lubbock, Texas, to all over the interweb. Yes. <laughs> so check that out also if you are sick of survival medicine we want to talk a little bit about current events let me do some more housekeeping here we have some events let me go go over these where are we going to be well we have another month of work 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 at home (laughs) and then we'll be travel 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 we're gonna get up to something unique we're gonna be at the ultimate outdoor expo in lexington kentucky that is a three-day event it's august 25th 26th and 27th again that's Ultimate Outdoor Expo, something different we're going to be going to. We'll be speaking on Saturday and Sunday. And um, we're going to be in Denver at the Self-Reliance Expo. We'll be teaching a suture class in Denver on Friday, September 22nd. The show is the 22nd and 23rd. The uh, class is actually at 1 p.m. And uh, Dr. Bones will be speaking at noon on Saturday, which is free. We just added a new eight-hour survival medicine class to be held in Sevierville, Tennessee on September, I'm sorry, October 21st, uh, 9 o'clock in the morning. That starts. It's an all-day, it's our eight-hour survival medicine class again, Sevierville, Tennessee. Check the classes page for all of these if you want to sign up or find out more information. Also, last but not least, we'll be at the NPS Expo on December 2nd and, excuse me, 1st and 2nd. And we will be holding another eight-hour survival medicine class, our last for the year, on December 3rd. That is Sunday, December 3rd, again at 9 a.m. You can sign up and get more information on our survival, excuse me, our uh, classes page on doomandbloom.net. Sounds great. Well, you know, the great outdoors is great. That's like the third time I said great in one sentence. But there is also danger in Denver Hills, and it pays to know what to do when you encounter it. And, you know, we talked just last week about snake bites and what to do if you find yourself on the trail with a rattler or a coral snake. And we've talked about animal bites, the cats and dogs, and gosh, just about everything else in previous articles. If you follow our Twitter and Facebook, you'll see a specific animal that lives right outside our home in Gatlinburg, 
Tennessee, which, by the way, has the best bird's eye view of the mountains and the Great Smoky Mountains. <laughs> but we're not talking about birds. We're we talking about do have a really awesome view. That's true. <laughs> we're we're not talking about birds today. We're talking about bears. That's right, bears. If you if, if you follow our Facebook uh, page, you'll see all sorts of different videos of bears right outside our place <laughs> making a mess and got and getting the ones into trouble. who got into our car. Yes, actually are... going into our car, you actually could see a video of, of a bear doing <laughs> climb that. right in. Crazy video. <laughs> well, bears are mammals. They are uh, members of the family Ursidae, and I'll bet you can't guess what their closest living relative is. It is. Seals. That is believe so it or not, freaky. are their closest living relatives. Think about it. That is amazing. Well, it, me- it means that. Well, that if you think about crazy. it, a bear and a seal. If you if you considered a a bear and put it in the water, mm-hmm. polar bears go in the water a lot. Uh, you can I imagine that they're if, a little. Con- well, I might have guessed it if I was imagining polar bears. That's true. That would make a little more sense to me. But not the bears that you find in the mountains, right? Which are black bears over here in the. Uh, uh, Amer- American black bears, what they're called in mm-hmm. the Smoky Mountains. Of course, there are grizzly bears or brown bears. Ooh, those in, are scary. In the West, uh, in, in the Smoky Mountains National Park, where we are just about, uh, which we just about abut in uh, on our property. Oh, it's just down are, the street. Yeah, there are about 1,800 bears that live there, and then many of them have become very accustomed to human humans, and that is an issue and human food and, and human garbage cans and that is that a problem people forget to close you know bear you may be worried about bear a bear eating you but bears actually eat more plant matter than meat they like to take in pretty much whatever they can find they're very very opportunistic uh, acorns are things that they eat when there used to be chestnut trees they used to eat a lot of chestnuts oh yeah uh, and what you have these kind of crops are called mast m-a-s-t and if there's Poor crops, well, that winds up causing bears to move out of their backcountry territory right, where gotta, they're most comfortable. They have to forage for something else. They got to look for alternative food source, and your trash has all sorts of different leftovers that they wouldn't mind eating. You know, it's really funny. We we find that they uh, most empty the trash container across the street because that one's not. I don't know. I guess the lock isn't bro- is not, not anchored in place because they, <laughs> they well they toss flip it around place, yeah. and they open it all the time, but. I find that they open it the most when there are pizza boxes. Oh, they there. love pizza. So I think the, the bears somehow are attracted to the wonderful smell of leftover pizza. Well, if pizza can makes you <laughs> if pizza makes you gain weight, think what it does to black bears. Black bears start off at eight ounces when they're born, and they end up about five hundred pounds or more if you get a big wow. male. Uh, they which. Which are called boars, by the way. Like, I don't think like we male pigs. we have actually had one that size come to the front of the house. Five hundred pounds. I've seen a we big. Actually... We saw a big one down below the balcony, a couple of stories down. We haven't walked into one that size though. Well, that's yes. Thank goodness for that. Although my dad did bump into one when he went outside about a year and I a half remember, ago. Yeah. Remember, he was at our house. We were just talking about bears. We had just pulled up from going out to eat. Remember? Yes. And he popped right back outside the front door. The lights weren't on. And he went around the back of the car and bumped into a bear who was trying to get into our car. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Instantly. Well, well, that puts you in danger no matter how cute you think these critters are. And so you have Scared to. Scared the bejesus out of him. <laughs> I guess so. 
to prevent injuries from bear encounters, you have to be situationally aware of something that your dad wasn't at that very moment. Although he is actually one of the most situationally aware people I know. Most situationally, exactly. That's a military training thing. Things to look around for are disturbed trash, uh, overturned garbage cans, fresh tracks, of course, actual bears. And uh, if you're on the trail, my basic advice with regards to bear safety is not to hike alone. Whenever possible, you should hike in groups because 90% of people injured by bears uh, in Yellowstone National Park, these are probably grizzly bears, were alone or only with one other hiking partner. So the more people you can get to go with you on that hiking trip, the better it is. You should avoid hiking at dawn or dusk or at night, which are times that bears are out in the warm winter or warm weather months. And remember, you're just as likely to come on upon a bear as it is to come upon you. It is not as situationally aware, perhaps, as maybe you should be. And you can just bump into each other just like your dad did with, with that bear mm-hmm. outside the house. Now, you might think it's not too smart to say, hey, bear, or sing... You know, I don't know what ninety nine bottles of beer on the wall, but any tra- kind of noise, trailing along. yeah, but any kind of noise is pretty good bear repellent. Bears don't like noise. It's pretty good. It's a pretty good strategy, especially when you're traveling near babbling brooks or other settings where normal hike normal hiking noises you might find them muffled. You know, that's when a bear came across our path when we were out. I remember. Hiking. Yes, I remember. And you were an, ahead of me. Yes. You I... were walking ahead of me, mm-hmm. and you didn't see the bear. I guess you were looking up. I mean, there's so many beautiful things when you're walking on a trail. But the bear popped right out in front of us. Well, and, luckily, it was about 25 yards And I grabbed away. the back of your shirt. Say, hey. And pulled you back. I didn't say a word. Yes. I just pulled you backwards. That's right. And then you saw it. And then I saw it. But there was a brook, remember? There was a creek right next to where we were hiking. Exactly. Now, the good news about that bear is he took one look over at us and just zoomed across the path. First, he stared at us. He stared at us for a few seconds. No, he didn't. He did. A few seconds. Yeah, oh, okay, he did. two two seconds. No, if he's your not idea there longer was, than that. Uh, he did. He was looking at all us. All right. Well, but we were backing up. I'm losing brain cells by the minute. You don't minute. remember he sat there looking at us. No, he wasn't coming towards us or anything. He was just trying to figure out. He was, I think, a if surprise. We were food or not? He was as surprised <laughs> as we were. Right? Do we look like food? No, those look like a couple of crazy people. Well, luckily, we I'll didn't. Leave have, those yeah. alone. There you go. Well, luckily, we didn't have it with a ha- have a hamburger or a hot dog in our hands. So no, I think but that we was do walk with sticks. We walk with sticks, right? Walking sticks. Oh, yeah. Actually, bear deterrent sticks. Absolutely. We're not really using them. Better for than nothing. Better than nothing. <laughs> it. Hey, listen. But it is good. Better always, to have something. But you should always use a walking stick on uneven terrain. That's always a, a good idea to help you keep your balance. So anyhow, what do you do? What do you do? If you encounter a bear, if you encounter a bear, luckily for us, it was at a little bit of a distance. Uh, so. Uh, if the bear doesn't, if the bear didn't see us, of course, we would probably just basically keep out of sight and you know go a little downwind or behind the bear uh, if if we possibly could. But if the bear does see you, well, you know what? They usually tell you to re- retreat the way you came. Uh, a bear can be in, in defensive mode or it can be in predatory mode. Now, a bear in defensive mode may huff or hiss or slap the ground with his paws telling you that you've gotten too close mm-hmm. well that means that you might consider putting some distance between you and the bear however do not run because it might activate the predatory response in the animal if a bear follows you quietly and has its ears erect and its attention is clearly directed at you 
that's bad. That's li- that bear is likely in predatory mode and not acting defensively. So make yourself look larger, be loud, be threatening. Uh, if you're in a group, groups should stay together, look like a, a bigger threat, one big giant animal. Uh, remember, a bear that's initially curious or testing you may become predatory if you appear meek, so you cannot be meek. Uh, deterrent like prepper spray, pe- prepper spray, prepper spray. <laughs> it deters preppers. I someone makes that. It deters preppers. Um, <laughs> uh, pepper, a pepper spray or other items of personal defense, <laughs> obviously, can become very handy if you've got a bear in predatory mode. Mode pepper spray, by the way, is most effective at close range, about five or ten feet. Now, if the bear attacks, you may not want to run. It seems counterintuitive, but. You can't outrun a black bear. It can go much faster than you can. Don't climb a tree unless you're a squirrel because, let's face it, you're not 10 years old anymore and it takes longer than you think. Your pursuer is actually a very good climber. So use your deterrent. Fight with your life because, believe me, that's what's at stake with these giants. Absolutely. Now, I've heard that wasp spray is a good thing to have because that shoots at a further distance. Yeah, up to 27 feet. So you can spray it sooner than having to wait till it's almost on top of you right so that might be something that's useful but basically do whatever it takes kick it punch it hit the bear on the face the eyes the nose whatever with whatever you happen to have by the way should you play dead now some people think that you should play dead uh and i've seen that written as advice but maybe i'm not sure that that's a good idea remember that bears feed on dead things too like deer carcasses so why pretend to be a deer carcass you know, if you do, however, <laughs> keep your backpack on, lie face down, clasp your hands over the back of your neck with your elbows facing, protecting the sides of your face. You know, sort of the rope-a-dope kind of look. Let me ask you a question. What percentage do you think that you could actually lie still and play dead? What, what chance is there it would that take you could actually do ex- that? It would take an extraordinarily... A bear is sniffing right. you because <laughs> it's just ran towards you. Yeah. So it's breathing its hot air all over you probably dripping snot, licking you, and and maybe about to bite you. There's a zero chance that I could do that. I'm the fight or flight kind of person that I'm always fight. Fight is always my reaction. Well, there you go. There's no flight in, in this that, woman. Unfortunately, you're fighting somebody outside your weight class. I'm not going to do it on purpose. I'm just doing it to spare my life. But there's no way in my brain that I could just like lay down and go, okay, well, I'm just going to curl up here and pretend to to be dead i I just couldn't do it if a bear's in predatory mode then it may not work now if it is like a mother cub that was just defending her cubs Mm -hmm. you know if you are laying down on the ground and you're protected and you're all you know hunched up Mm -hmm. then maybe she can look at you and say well this hedgehog is not a threat to my cubs anymore i understand i don't know if they have that kind of uh reasoning process so you're I'm gotta, also not you're taking your chances, right? I'm also not sure I can judge the motives of a bear, right? <laughs> that's coming towards me. That's true. <laughs> he maybe oh, he just wants your picnic. I understand basket. that you just explained, you <laughs> like know, Yogi some bear of likes, the yeah. behaviors, so you can tell what motives. But I don't think if a bear's running towards me that I, I'm going to be of sound mind to judge the exact motives of the bear that's stampeding towards me at a rapid rate. Oh, my gosh. Jeez Louise. Oh, God. I'm going to be looking for the nearest um, big stick or stone to throw. 
Well, the important thing is that your backpack's going to need dressings, tourniquets, antiseptics, other supplies that are needed for treating wounds. And if that's in bear country or just about anywhere where you might have to deal with animal bites. Well, let me mention something. Or too. sharp trauma. Right. But listen, if you've got all that gauze in your backpack, that's even more padding in case you are using the backpack to protect yourself. Yeah, that's true. There you go. See? Absolutely. It does do double duty. Well, the important thing I think that we should know is that bears that are accustomed to human beings never live quite as long as life as truly wild bears. Bears do lose their fear of people because they're being fed by them on a regular basis. As a result, many of these bears are hit by cars, end up euthanized because they menaced some humans or right. some humans' pets. Remember this, a bear that is fed by humans is a bear that was made to be dead yep. by humans. You're absolutely right. Now, one of the questions that we're often asked to, is what to do about chronic pain and drug addiction if some disaster occurs that knocks you off the grid, maybe for good. Well, certainly pharmaceuticals would cease to be manufactured. Whatever pain med you use or opiate drug you might be addicted to will become very likely unavailable, leaving you or members of your group high and dry when it comes to any kind of pain relief whatsoever. No, you won't be high and dry. Oh, <laughs> you'll just be dry. Exactly. Yes, there you go. So the, That was funny. That's right. So in these circumstances... Although drug addiction is not funny. I should laugh. It's just what right. you said was that's funny. That's right. But we're going to talk a little bit about that. It's actually extremely, extremely it, sad. Right. As, as it applies off the grid. So in these circumstances, you got to look toward natural sources of compounds that might help, things that you might be able even be able to grow in your survival garden. Now, some states approve the possession and sale of marijuana for medical and recreational use and pain medicine. There's little true opioid effect in it, certainly. And recent studies show that it has a, it does have a slight effect against pain, but mostly it's because of a sedative effect that makes the pain more bearable. The Canadian Medical Association Journal tested marijuana, as a matter of fact, on a number of people who had chronic pain and compared it to people who took a sugar pill. And those people that were on the sugar pill, called a placebo, uh, rated their pain as about a 6 out of 10. The marijuana group rated their pain about a 5.4 out of 10. Very small difference, but a difference nonetheless, so it may be an option. But another plant that has promised for chronic pain and has been under some controversy recently is called kratom, K-R-A-T-O-M. And kratom is a herb that has been in widespread use in Southeast Asia for centuries. It's chewed to increase stamina uh, in, and it induces a, a mild euphoria, relaxation, and relief relieves pain. The more you take it, the more pain is relieved. If you use a little bit of it, it actually may have a stimulant effect. So it's sort of funny that a little bit of it has a stimulant effect. But then as a you lot get has, relief, more. is more of an opioid-like effect. Now, the interesting thing about it is that it is not an opiate. It, kratom is in actually in the coffee family. So that's something that is, to me, pretty interesting. And you'll see a lot of testimonials that exist as to the success of kratom helping people kick their addictions to opioid painkillers. Right. On the other side of the coin, kratom does seem to have some addictive potential itself. And there have been several. I always want to say both sides of the story here. Of course. And several hundred cases of poisoning have been recorded, although most of the se severe cases seem to have mixed it with other recreational drugs. And that's bad. And as a result, 
uh, use and export of kratom has actually been outlawed in some countries, so even some countries where it actually grows naturally. Now, the chemical compounds in kratom uh, are mitragynine. The plant is actually called Mitragyna speciosa. Uh, the chemicals are mitragynine and 7-hydroxymitragynine. Now, these substances act on opioid receptors in the brain, just like heroin and morphine do. But remember, kratom is not an opiate. It's actually a member, as I said, of the coffee family. And kratom has been used by many people who swear by its effect on pain and use it to replace heroin or other street drugs. And the Federal Register notice by the DEA in August 30... Uh, 31st, 2016, actually attempted to use what they call emergency scheduling authority to ban dangerous and often lethal street drugs to ban consumer access to kratom and kratom-like products. Uh, that is pretty weird. The DEA, though, was forced to withdraw its ban in the face of an outcry from thousands of kratom supporters, including a bipartisan group of 62 U.S. House and Senate members. That's a miracle, I have to say. I remember when we re reported about this. Yes, we originally we reported about when they this. banned it. Exactly. Originally. Then they Just had to withdraw. Before. Yes, exactly. They, they got a petition which had 142,000 signatures. Wow. When did they withdraw this? Do they you know? They withdrew it in October. Oh, this past October. I, I, okay. It, it, so it was in effect for a few months couple then. Of months, yes, yeah. it was for, for a while. Now, so all of this has made Kratom an issue of substantial and embarrassing controversy within the DEA because they had previously made 80 previous bans on various types of, of drugs and, mm -hmm. and substances uh, before the unprecedented, unprecedented withdrawal of their emergency scheduling notice in October of 2016. So the DEA scorecard on the Kratom withdrawal business was... Uh, both an embarrassment in their view, an unfinished business. So they are still oh, causing trouble. The still whole, trying right. to yes, get exactly. rid of it, huh? Exactly. The whole brouhaha was called by, caused by a report by the CDC that kratom intoxication caused hundreds of calls to poison control centers over the last five years. Mm -hmm. This despite the claim from proponents of the plant that the number of poisonings are very small compared to the number of people damaged by many other even legal substances like alcohol well, for example i'm sorry how many people call 911 when they're high or drunk yeah from paranoia or just being drunk we hear it on those cop shows all the time oh yeah hi this is 911 mm -hmm. my phone won't work i'm sorry sir do you have an emergency my stupid phone won't work and you can tell <laughs> yeah. the person's either high or drunk yes and then they keep calling back Hello, this is 911. How may I help you? My phone's not working. <laughs> so, You're on the phone. So, but... <laughs> there's a lot of phone calls to 911 with people who are drunk or high on legal marijuana. All right. Well, so, how can they use that as a justification? Because well, there were thousands of calls to 911. Well, it is, it does not make a lot of sense. You know what so I mean? Only like, a few people, only a few people. It's not poisonings. the only thing right. people are calling 911 high on or right. drunk on. And indeed, they, the people that have issues with kratom, medical issues with kratom, comprise just a very, very, very small percentage of cases, maybe one or two deaths. And those people are usually associated with um, other drugs mixed, as well, mixed, right. mixed in with other when drugs, you some have, combination with other more dangerous drugs. Right. And when you have those many variables, you cannot 
pin down exactly which of those substances caused the issue. And on top of that... When it's all mixed in. On top of that, just consider the 8,000 or more heroin-related deaths that we've had. Exactly. Compare the few deaths, if any, associated with kratom, and compare that to the number of uh, morphine deaths, uh, heroin deaths, if you mix in OxyContin and all those other there's con- little, other dr- exactly. deaths that occur because of that. There's a lot of other things we need to focus on than this kratom. That's right. I mean, I think it's a pretty good trade-off to have some kratom available for people for which it actually works. Uh, and the FDA, the funny thing is, really, really does not agree with me in, in any way, shape, or form. They have an anti-kratom stance, and indeed several states have taken it up upon their own um, initiative to ban the plant altogether. All mm-hmm. Now, in the end, even though public outcry has stopped the kratom ban for the moment, the Department of Health and Human Services is involved in studies on kratom, and its final determination is, final, is going to decide if the plant is indeed banned forever. It's a long process. They're testing it, and mm-hmm. they're seeing if they find other evidence that shows that it really should be banned. So their initial ban, from what I remember, was just based on this sort of um, data that they had gathered, but not actual studies. So now they're actually trying to study it. So they can make a better decision. The the thing is, are they going to make a good decision? Well, I mean, hopefully the DA is going to see the light as to the realistic uses and the realistic risks of the plant and allow at least limited access to what might be a very valuable survival tool. I mean, the problem is it's the government, so don't hold your breath. It's not likely that (laughs) once a substance is controlled by the government, you're ever going to be able to get, get it or grow it in the future with marijuana being the very, very, very rare exception. There is a new legislation, as a matter of fact, that would allow the government to outlaw it nationwide. It's called the SITSA Act, or the Stop the Importation and Trafficking of Synthetic Analogs Act of 2017. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about uh, a person named Andrew Turner. Andrew Turner is a Navy veteran. When he learned of this new act, well he did was a lot of people that are active supporters of something uh, a cause do. They, he recorded his personal testimony and put it up, guess where, on YouTube. Now, he didn't just tell a story. He mm-hmm. actually showed what his life without Kratom was going to be like oh, for no. him. He suffers from a number of combat-related disabilities, oh, Navy veteran. Thing. He has chronic pain. He has post-traumatic stress syndrome. He has something called Mage syndrome. And something and dystonia, which is problems with movement, control of your movements. He normally takes a small amount of powdered leaf from the kratom plant once daily to treat his conditions. Mm-hmm. Well, in October of last year, he stopped taking kratom for six days oh boy. and recorded his deteriorating condition to demonstrate what the reality of a kratom ban would look like. Oh, no. Poor thing. By day five, he was blinking excessively. His brow was twitching. He swallowed constantly, which interrupted his speech. His speech became slow, became labored. And he said, this is what I'll have to face if kratom is banned. You know, he said, the pharmaceutical measures I've tried don't really help. They typically make these issues even a little bit worse. Now, that was day five. By day six, he had a rapid succession of ticks pull and twist his face. He had stuttering that was uncontrollable. And he said, if this continues on, within a few more days, 
I'll probably be complete, completely unable to speak. And he said, the pain I woke up with this morning was unbearable. Oh, no. Now, I'll, I'll admit that Mage syndrome is, isn't very common, and that's, but what binds this veteran story to thousands of other testimonies that you'll see from Kratom users is how taking Kratom has allowed them to stop using prescription opiates. But also, it's allowed them to continue normal lives. Yes. And to actually go to work and function instead of just laying around being high. Exactly. Yes. They've participated in life versus being withdrawn, which is what happens to a lot of addicts. They can't function in society. They can't go to work. They can't get up. They, they're late. They don't show up. They can't function at work. I believe from what the users, what we've seen, the users' experiences have been, I mean, obviously there's always overdoses for things, but every story is different in a too. certain, if they, they only keep it to a certain amount, that they're actually able to function. To hold jobs and to be parents and to have, you know, be a functioning social member of their families, too. Which a lot of them withdraw from their families when they have these addictions. Exactly. They've allowed them to be more normal. Well, it turns out with that this uh, gentleman, uh, this Navy veteran, with a little bit of Kratom every morning, mm-hmm. he was able to stop using opiates. Uh, he said he had been using large amounts of Vicodin and Percocet and said he hadn't taken any in months, simp- that he could do things on his own again without people helping me because of Kratom. Right. And indeed, many veterans have found success using Kratom to treat chronic pain and PTSD. The uh, founder of the American Kratom Association is named Susan Ash, and she told uh, uh, a number of media outlets um, that it was uh, that a veteran told her mm-hmm. that it was one of the only medicines that helped tremendously with PT- PTSD without being hepatotoxic li- toxic to the liver. liver a lot of these right. medicines are to- toxic to the liver from these pharmaceuticals and he says that he had multiple buddies with whom he worked with that were at risk for suicide and they were introduced to kratom and they were living normal lives now in Florida, where we are, Kratom is generally legal, as a matter of fact, but some cities are taking it upon themselves to actually ban it. As a matter of fact, uh, a couple of years ago, Sarasota Flo- County, Florida, mm-hmm. became the first county in the state to uh, pass a law banning the sale or transport of Kratom. And the ban was intended to target those people who sell the herb. Uh, they called it a designer drug. Oh, please. And included penalties designer for those who like to use it. Yeah. Designer drugs are things that people make in their kitchen. Yeah, right. I'm glad you mentioned that because designer drugs are by nature synthetic drugs. Think uh, Breaking Bad. Right. Think Breaking Bad. Which, while Kratom is an entirely a natural, natural drug. Uh, The Sarasota County ban defined Kratom as an herbal psychotropic stimulant and opioid substitute with no legitimate medical use. I disagree. It just goes. But wait, in their description, they said it. Yeah. An opiate substitute. The opioid substitute, right? The, it means it's not an opioid. Right. They described it perfectly. So, between you and I, I think that it only makes sense that this is you should use all the tools in the which. And I want to give equal to, time to the other side. I'll tell you about a very special case. Linda Mountner. Linda Mountner believes her son became addicted to kratom and committed suicide a few years ago. And she attributed her troubled son's death to the supplement, saying that other issues in his life, were not, which he had, were not the reason that he ended it. 
He says that an addiction, she says. an addiction to kratom, could turn into one like my son's. He said it became one hundred and twenty-five dollars. Wait, isn't a day this a woman half. saying this? This is a woman talking about her son. So she said, "Yes, okay, yeah." So he, she said that he stole checks from his grandmother, and that when his grandmother confronted him about that, he said, "I can't live like this anymore." Drove to the top of an overpass and drove over it. And so this lady now advocates making the substance illegal everywhere. But wait, this, okay, thinking about this, this guy was down and out. If he can't afford this habit that he's gotten, it means he's not working, he's not producing, he's not functioning in society. He had a million other problems also. He probably couldn't live like this anymore because he was just in a terrible state of depression. I mean, he's stealing from his grandmother. He doesn't have any money. All he's doing is is this drug. And, and you can overdo anything. You can overdo ibuprofen and have to go to the hospital. Oh, yeah, sure. A, a Tylenol can cause... People are addicted to cough syrup. Right, sure. I mean, people are addicted to weird stuff, and they do too much of it. And it affects and disrupts their entire lives. This guy had probably a, a long list of issues. And Kratom was just wow. a symptom of it. He was using Kratom to try and avoid all of his other problems. I mean, who knows what kind of mental problems he had. I mean, it's a terrible story. It is awful, but I don't think that you can blame Kratom. I think he was using Kratom to get away from the other problems that he was having. You see what I'm saying? Yes, I I totally agree. It doesn't help you, but a lot of people become addicted to drugs because there are issues they're dealing with in their life, either physical problems or mental problems or emotional problems. Somebody died. A child died. A husband died. A parent died. Somebody close to them. They're dealing with, with issues. So they use these drugs to uh, to get away from them. But then the drug becomes another problem. So instead of helping yourself, now you got a whole heaping of more crap than you had when to you started. Exactly. What a mess. So the Kratom was probably being used to avoid other issues. Again, like I said, probably a long list of them. And then the Kratom became an additional issue. Right. But I don't think it's the reason he killed right. himself. Right. In, moder- in moderation. Specifically. Yeah, it would be very unlikely for that to be a problem. She's not Remember, telling the true story of all the things this kid had to deal. You know, who knows how his childhood was. This is the mother I'm sure she'd like to blame his emotional issues on a drug. Maybe he had emotional issues because of his childhood. I'm not specifically blaming her, but maybe something happened during his childhood that she may not know about that he used this. Everybody's life is complex, and you know you never know. But the only thing I know, though, is Kratom. It's a natural substance. It works for pain. And it seems to kill a lot less people than heroin does. That's for sure. And and look at it from a survival standpoint. They're, they're not going to be pharmaceuticals after the new, you know what hits a fan. So you need something that you can actually grow in your garden that might work for a person in pain when you're the medic off the grid. I mean, it seems to me like kratom, this thing, is a reasonable option. It's either that or deal with the pain, and that's easy to say only if you've never been in serious exactly. pain. So, you know, if you think about having a toothache every day of your life, you know, that kind of that kind of pain, you know, then you might consider wanting to use Kratom and having that available to you and not outlawed. The body is is very susceptible to having chronic pain as you get older, especially. Oh, yeah. Aches and pains that we had when we were younger 
that went away easily don't go away right. easily. And every morning you wake up, you say, oh, I remember when I hurt my back when I was 16. And then I hurt my foot when I was 21. And that all comes back to haunt you. And the joggers in their sure, 20s the, get to be in their 70s. Right, look at these football players. You know, how they're dealing with knee issues oh, just, yeah. just in their 40s and Absolutely. 50s. Absolutely, and brain issues, unfortunately, and, yeah, it's, from it's concussion. Kratom has risks, it has benefits, and you got to weigh them all based on the situation. That is the bottom line. That, that is the bottom line, mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, something else. I want to talk about, well, about what m- things would not necessarily be sensational or sexy to talk about. I mean, of course, heavy bleeding or gunshot wounds and things like that. Medic- medics in survival situations have to deal with all sorts of major injuries or, or, or Ebola, serious infections mm-hmm. kind of things. But sometimes infections aren't serious to begin with, but they they can worsen and become problem, major problems if they're not treated. Now, some of these infections involve the urinary tract. Now, urine directly from the bladder is generally sterile. If I took a needle and I put it in your stomach above where the bladder is, went through the bladder and suctioned out the... Did you just go... Yep. I just did it on myself. That was the sound got effect a needle right of now sticking in my bladder. a needle yeah, into my bladder. That's what it sounds Please like. Please don't. Take it from the doctor. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> Do not put all in your bladder. <laughs> and and, and suction that out. That urine is usually sterile. Usually it doesn't have bacteria or anything right. like that. But most people, women especially, have experienced a urinary tract infection, otherwise known as a UTI, at one point or another. Now, the areas that are most commonly contaminated are the bladder, which is the container that holds the urine before it comes out, the urethra, the tube that drains the urine out of the bladder. And, uh, uh, by the way, men can get bladder infections. You are not immune, guys. Um, the urethra, however, in men is much longer and bacteria is much likely, much less likely to reach the bladder. Well, are you lucky? I'm a lucky boy. <laughs> now, because if, you're a boy. <laughs> now, if you're not treated, bladder infections, which are also known as cystitis, can, can ascend to the other urinary organs, and those are the tubes that go up to the kidneys. Uh, those are called ureters, and then the kidneys. You have one on each side, just on, on each flank, just below the, just around the area of the lowest rib. And an infection in the kidney is called pyelonephritis. And once in the kidneys, this kind of infection starts becoming a major issue. It can make its way into the bloodstream, can lead to shock uh, could lead to sepsis which is an all all over the body infection and you can die from it now each type of uti manifests in more or less specific signs and symptoms depending on which part of the urinary tract is actually affected that's right inflammation of the urethra uh, urethritis may be caused by e coli can be caused by sexually transmitted diseases like gonorrhea herpes, uh, other bacteria and viruses will do it, bacteria and viruses will do it, uh, sufferers with urethritis usually feel a burning sensation with urination, that's called dysuria, and males may have a urethral discharge, may have a discharge from the urethra at the same time, while women that have certain sexually transmitted infections may notice a foul discharge from the vagina, so that area in general can is more problematic in women than than in men. Bladder infections are characterized by uh, pressure in the pelvic area, lower abdominal discomfort, and frequency of urination. You urinate a lot. Now, some people 
when they urinate, they or when they feel the need to go, they need the need to go right away. That's called urgency, and that's a common symptom of a bladder infection without warning. And when they go, oftentimes the stream of urine is pretty slow to start. It's hard to get going, and that we call hesitancy. And so hesitancy, uh, frequency, urgency, these are all the C's of uh, urinary tract infections, and you'll see it. Now, the urine itself may become cloudy. It could have an odor. It could become red-tinged with blood from inflammation. So these are things you'll see in bladder infections. Now, once the infection reaches the kidney, that's called pyelonephritis, as I mentioned, other signs and symptoms will become apparent. Now, fever and chills are very common, and pain on the side of your back, the flank, is also going to be something you'll see. Normally, it'll be noticeably noticeable only on one side. Most of the time, your infection if you have a kidney infection, it's on one side. And you can actually evaluate this by simply tapping the flank of the person right around the level of the lowest rib on each side um, with the side of your closed fist. Now, I mean, a hard, it doesn't have to be hard. In, in a normal person, you'll really have no response. It won't be anything that bothers them. But if somebody has an infection in the kidney, they'll grimace, they'll flinch. I mean, it, it hurts. Uh, kidney stones, by the way, can also be mistaken for a kidney infection because they also cause tenderness in this area, but they are much less likely to cause fever, which is very, very commonly seen in pyelonephritis. So a kidney infection, commonly see fever. Now, treatment of a kidney infection, that usually revolves around... Um, the vigorous administration of fluids, lots of fluids. The more fluids that go through the, the kidneys, go through the bladder, will help flush out the infection by decreasing the concentration of bacteria in the affected organs, right? Absolutely. That makes sense. Some feel... Drink a lot, a lot, a lot of water. A lot of water. A lot of water. A little bit of cranberry juice with it, but a lot of water. That's classic, classic advice for that. Now, some people feel relief with a heating pad or, or a, maybe a warm compress in the area of discomfort. That's something that you'll see uh, being recommended by a lot of people. Now, of course, antibiotics are another standard of therapy, the most commonly used for UTIs, and there are a number of them that you can uh, find in uh, various uh, veterinary equivalents are uh, sulfa drugs, uh, which you'll find, uh, uh, or sulfa, uh, are the actual uh, brand names, uh, but you'll find them in veterinary form as bird sulfa or fish sulfa. Uh, amoxicillin could possibly work. Amoxil is the brand name. Fish box is the veterinary, veterinary name. Uh, ampicillin, fish cillin, uh, cephalexin, uh, keflex or fish flex, azithromycin, uh, zithromax, zpac, uh, aquatic azithromycin for fish, uh, doxycycline, uh, bird biotic, uh, also, vibrotabs or vibromycin in human form. And ciprofloxacin, cipro or fishflox. So these are some options for you. Some of them, of course, the, each of them has their own dosages that are appropriate, the amount of days taken, the side effects of warnings. These are, this is not candy, so it's important to check each one of them out. We have articles on each one of these medicines on our website at doomandbloom.net, so feel free to check them out. Now, to eliminate the pain that occurs with urination and UTIs, you should stockpile some over-the-counter medications like phenazopyridine, which is also known as peridium. Uh, other brand names are Uristat, Azo. There are a million different ones. You'll find them uh, at, your local at, lo at your local pharmacy, uh, but they are over-the-counter. You can get as many as you need. 
Uh, don't be alarmed, however, if the urine turns a reddish-orange color. It is an effect of the drug. I promise you it is only temporary and it will go away. Now, there are a number of natural remedies to treat someone with a urinary tract infection. You probably know some yourself. Vitamin C supplements, for example, are thought to reduce the concentration of bacteria in the urine, so that might be an option. Others include uh, garlic or garlic oil, uh, preferably in capsules to uh, avoid uh, too much of the uh, bad breath that may occur as a result. Echinacea extract or tea is supposed to be very good. Goldenrod tea, some people say to add vinegar, one or two tablespoons, uh, and, and see how that works. There's an herb called uva ursi, that's U-V-A, next word U-R-S-I, and that can come in tablet form. Cranberry tablets, cranberry juice, of course, and these remedies, if you take them regularly, maybe three times a day, should be helpful. Another home remedy is to take one Alka-Seltzer tablet and dissolve it in two ounces of warm water. Pour that directly over the area of the urethra and it should give you some relief. Uh, warm compress to the area might also be useful. Uh, one more alternative that may be helpful is to perform an external massage over the bladder. Some people say this with five drops of lavender essential oil mixed with castor oil for a few minutes. Now, this is, uh, as I said, an alternative remedy. Uh, you would apply a gentle warm compress over the area and repeat this three times daily. A combination of lavender, castor oil, and warmth is thought to decrease bladder spasms and pain. Yes, but let's just be clear, it's not curing it. These infections make you make may make you feel make better. Make you feel better. Well, exactly. I mean, if it's a bacterial it's infection. Like taking you Tylenol. Need, if you want to kill the bacteria, you need to decrease the concentration. Antibiotics will do that very well. Flushing will do that very well. But you may feel better with some of the things that I just right mentioned. exactly. It's That's just what. for symptoms, and I'm sure not to cure it. I'm sure you guys out in the audience have some tried and true strategies of your own. It you know it's. Important to know about home remedies that ex your experience may vary. What works for one person may not always work for another person. And it, if, if you are in normal times, you're having major problems with this, please consult your physician. Absolutely. And if children are having UTIs, you need to get them to a pediatrician immediately. Do not let your kid have a UTI and do home remedies. Please take the child to the pediatrician because sometimes the bladder infections are caused by the way that they're wiping or how frequently they're cleaning themselves, but sometimes they're caused by other things. Well, what you're, she's trying to say is that sometimes sexual abuse causes UTIs in children. Exactly. So, so just so you know, it's something In normal times, important. please take your child if they're complaining of any kind of pain or discomfort down in that area whatsoever. Now, preventative medicine plays a large role in decreasing the likelihood of urinary tract infections. Of course, you want to have good hygiene. You want to wipe from front to back after urinating for women. Uh, also emptying the bladder right after an episode of sexual intercourse. Very good idea for the ladies. Wear cotton undergarments to allow better air circulation in areas that might otherwise encourage bacterial or, or fungal growth. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of fluid intake, as we mentioned. Cranberry juice may be useful. Yeah, it's also a key uh, to flushing out the bacteria and other organisms. By the way, don't postpone urinating when you feel a strong urge to go. If you really got to go, find a bathroom. Get it out. <laughs> Holding it is not a great idea. Absolutely right. You know, off-grid medics ha may have to deal with gunfights at the OK Corral, but you know what? 
it's how well they handle everyday problems like UTIs that gauges their day-to-day contributions to their community and their true effectiveness. Absolutely. Good point. I'm glad you went over UTIs. That's that's something that a lot of people don't talk about. I want to mention uh, one other thing that we have coming up. We've just set up a class, um, a teleseminar, on August 3rd at 7 p.m. Central Time. That's 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm going to put a link up on our classes page for this, and it's put on by Sun Oven. And our good friend Paul Munson is going to do a class, and um, I'm going to use my Sun Oven, and I'm going to cook some chicken. Oh, boy. And vegetables. Serious? Yes. Wow. (laughs) Although it's storming today, but in the next few days, I'm going to be making dinner in the sun oven. It comes with a recipe book, so I'm really excited about doing that. Um, So anyway, I just want to let you guys know if you want to come participate and learn more about a sun oven. uh, Mr. Munson is really good at explaining how it's used what things you can cook. He's even going to talk about some of the recipes and, and demonstrate some things. Um, so I think it'll be really good. I know I'm looking forward to it myself. So, again, August 3rd at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. All right. Sounds great. Okay. That's all the time we have for this week. We hope you enjoyed this week's version of the Survival Medicine Hour with Joe at Amy Alden, Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy. <laughs> Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week. Are you worried about how dangerous the world has become? In these days of terrorist attacks, natural disasters, or even a future collapse, you need to be medically prepared to keep your family safe. I'm Amy Alton, ARNP of store.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find an entire line of uniquely designed medical kits and supplies for when help is not on the way. For everything from individual first aid kits to the ultimate family medical bag, go to store.doomandbloom.net today. You'll be glad you did.